HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're kicking off our end-of-year fundraising drive with a special discount offer from our partner, Heritage Foods USA, an online farm-to-table butcher shop specializing in heritage breed antibiotic-free meats. Donate to Heritage Radio Network before Sunday, December 4th at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and we'll send you an exclusive discount code for 10% off all Heritage Foods products. Help ensure another year of great food radio, get 10% off delicious and sustainably produced meat, and support small family farms all in one shot. How's that for a holiday miracle? Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate by Sunday, December 4th to make your contribution. Today's program was brought to you by Bordeaux Wines. Red, white, rosé, there's a reasonably priced wine for everyone and for every occasion. For more information, visit bordeaux.com slash US. Today's program is brought to you by Campari. For more information, visit Campari.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. um, And when I'm not hosting In the Drink, I am uh, working on my own new wine project called Anona Wines. You can find Anona at a ton of uh, great restaurants and retailers around town like The Nomad, Charlie Bird, Osteria Marini, Pearl and Ash... And a bunch of great places. You can look at www.anonawine.com. That's A-N-N-O-N-A-Wine.com. And uh, find out all the great places you can try Anona. And I hope you do. I am super excited about uh, our show today. I have a really good friend on the show. uh, Someone who uh, has uh, won uh, Michelin stars at his restaurants. uh, Who is the uh, wine correspondent for Playboy magazine who runs things over at the uh, La Paulet with Daniel Janis, um, who makes Muscadet in a bottle that looks like a 40-ounce Old English mm-hmm. and who is an expert of, on Bordeaux and has really, I think, uh, when a lot of the sommeliers in New York were like, oh, we don't like Bordeaux. like, no, dude, you should drink it. It's like the best wine around. We have uh, Patrick Capiello here in the studio. 
welcome to welcome back to In the Drink. Thanks. Yeah, it's, a, it's probably number three for me with you. I, I, I think. Is that true? You're the most yeah. oh, the most guested <laughs> show. You're the, is, it, is it is it true? Is it possible? Do I have the record like a uh, Saturday record. Night Live record where where you, whoever you host the most? Who is it? It's like Steve Martin. I think is the has the most hostings for uh, for Saturday Night Live. I'm like right. the Steve Martin of In the Drink. <laughs> you get a, uh, a jacket uh, after the fifth oh, one awesome. with, All right. with like, All right. pizza on it, uh, <laughs> since we're here over at, at Roberta's. Uh, well, congratulations on the, the Mission Star at uh, Ravel. Thank that's, you. Yeah, that's it's awesome. a year two for us on that. It's pretty exciting. You know, you that's the thing about Michelin is you never know if it's going to reoccur. It's, it's not It's not given. So yeah. you, you, you kind of hold your breath every October and cross your fingers and hope that you did the right thing for the past year. and. Thankfully, we did, and uh, yeah, we we uh, we got it back. It's it's a it's a pretty big honor, you know. I think if you think about it, and for us, at one Michelin stars. I mean, I worked at a two Michelin star restaurant, Gilt, in the New York Palace Hotel, and um, that was a different experience. There's a different expectation I find with people when they come to a two Michelin star restaurant mm-hmm. than when they come to a Mich- one Michelin star restaurant. It's extraordinarily different expectation, actually. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of my favorite restaurants at least in italy which is the country i go to more often if they're not like the really casual like trattoria uh and they're on the fancier side it's usually one michelin star because that's there's it seems like there's a little bit more soul and a little bit less pump yeah yeah Yeah. we the the the, i think i think you have to turn up the show on that on that if you if you want to hit the two stars and we don't you know not that we don't. We, I think we at Rebel, we, we our goal is to make every guest uh, as comfortable and as happy and as drunk as possible. Yes. But um, you know, we try to keep the service really friendly and really approachable, especially with having you know a vast the the vast size of wine list that we have there. Um, you know, you know Kim, who's the head sommelier there, mm-hmm. who's so sweet and just really kind of brings it down. She's definitely taken on the philosophy that I've always had that I learned from from the people that taught me to keep it simple to keep it approachable to keep it friendly you know wine often has so much pretense involved with it and it makes our job difficult often so oh yeah and you do that in a beautiful place i think one of the most beautiful bars just around town is absolutely gorgeous and uh and this wine list that keeps growing like i don't know as someone who's run restaurants like how do you possibly like just logistically in terms of like finding the wine and inventorying it and the kind of investment that you have to make in that wine list? Like how many selections do you have at this point? Um, Rebel is now at uh, 2,200 selections. That's amazing. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And headed over, over that a little, you know, but the, the holiday seasons, we get kind of shrinks down a little bit because we yeah. get a lot more people coming in to drink a lot more bottles. So it's kind of a difficult balance right now to keep it. But closer to twenty five hundred for the most mm-hmm. part. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that that are involved with making all that happen. I mean, Kim is the person who's buying all the wine in the wholesale market. You know, she's the one that's constantly struggling to make sure those holes are all kept full. Which, you know, as a as a wine buyer, that's probably the biggest challenge is understanding your guests, understanding where they're where they're where they're focusing their buying power and then making sure that you're constantly keeping that area full because it's easy to kind of buy the wines that make you excited as a buyer but buying the wines that people want is really the more important thing and then you know my 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 role is to consistently work with the collectors and we work with about nine or ten collectors at this point that um bring their wines from their private sellers on consignment to the restaurant which really fills up that upper echelon Mm -hmm. kind of that really rare and older wines it's where we get a lot of the wines that we have from old wines we have from Burgundy and the, a lot of the old wines we have from Bordeaux. I mean, we have uh, our, our Bordeaux list is probably one of the biggest in the, in the city. Maybe, maybe Keens and, and Harry's have, have bigger, have bigger Bordeaux lists than us. Well, not right, Keens, but Harry's for sure. Um, 
so that that's kind of it's because of those people and you know these are these are guys i've known for since my time at veritas who are passionate collectors and people who really just get excited about what we do they're guys that have collected wine for a lot longer than than they ever should have so they have more wine than they could ever possibly consume Mm -hmm. by the end of their their lives so they're happy to share them so it really becomes kind of a cool uh situation where guests can go and enjoy the wines that have been aged appropriately which it's not always an easy thing to find anywhere, but especially... In was the, it your relationship with these guys that first got you really interested in Bordeaux, or is it just, you know, I, I think as a, a young sommelier, that's like one of the classic regions you, you have to know, but it seems like that's something where I think a lot of sommeliers maybe like learned it and then moved on to the next new thing. You you kind of really always kept your foot on the gas with saying, you know, Bordeaux wines are outstanding, they're worth drinking, they're worth paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the, for me, it, I didn't learn much about it in my first job in New York, which was at Tribeca Grill, because mm-hmm. David Gordon, who was the one who, you know, who's the one who there, is not, it w- was never one, one that was super passionate. He, he was really passionate about the north, the north, the south, the southern Rhone Valley. That was southern, really where his, yeah. pa- his pa- and every sommelier has their thing. So Bordeaux was kind of a secondary thought for him. So I don't think there was as much there. So I didn't really have a great knowledge for the first four years that I was in the wine business. But my second job took me to Veritas, and Veritas had a huge um, Bordeaux selection probably was the dominant selection because it was combined by these two guys who own the restaurant. Both of their collections kind of crossed over in Bordeaux. And there was great old wine to drink really inexpensively. Like even at the first growth level, it was, it was really, really, really amazing. I mean, I was drinking stuff back then that's mind boggling now if I think about, but it really gave me an interest mainly because I have such an interest in older wine because I think it's, it's, it, it's unique. It's not something you can drink every day and, and seeing wines age can I think change your view on wine and, and, and being a collector as well of wine, I try to age wine. And whenever I taste a, a young bottle of wine, I always try to analyze in my mind what I think the aging potential for the wine is. So that really laid the foundation for Bordeaux for me. When I went to the New York Palace Hotel at Gilt, I continued and grew the Bordeaux program there. And then when we opened Pearl and Ash, it was the same thing. You know, I wanted to try and combine classic with kind of hip and mm. the, the wine scene in Pearl and Ash, and that was really our, our, our move. So there was a lot of wine from the Jura, there was a lot of wine from the Loire Valley, but also there was all this, all this wine from Bordeaux, and, and not just old Bordeaux, but interesting Bordeaux that I think is more applicable to what's happening with, with Bordeaux now and also with wine drinkers now, like looking at trying, trying to work with producers that are working with um, organic or biodynamic vineyard practices, which is, you know, the wines that I, that I brought today are, are all examples of that which I don't think people often associate with Bordeaux. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, the Jura, Loire Valley, the natural wine movement, people always associate um, those regions with, with the wines, with, with wines that are being made with organic um, vineyard practices. But if you think of Bordeaux, people have an old idea that it's an area that doesn't embrace mm-hmm. the, the idea. Of, but, you know, it's not even a question anymore. I think every wine region, it's something that, that, that has to be faced because it's something that people want and at no point in the future is somebody who wants to drink wine that are made with natural wine, wine methods going to say, you know what, you know what this wine needs? Some chemicals. Some we gotta, let's, get, let's get some They're, chemicals yeah. back in this wine. It's, it's not going to change. And I think we're going to three mission star. They have just like a little teaspoon of pesticide <laughs> and just pour <laughs> it, pour it into your wine table side. So, so I think that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, the Bordelais understand that mm-hmm. it's it, it's wine buyers or, or wine buyers who are, seem to be stuck in this rut where they don't understand that. And for me, that's super frustrating because I've developed relationships with families like the wines that we're about to taste, small, you know, under ten hectare um, uh, chateaus that are working with all biodynamic certified biodynamic um, vineyard practices, but um, they don't get the street cred that they deserve in the natural wine movement. And I think that's 
unfortunate. So for me, that's really become a focus of mine to try and make people understand that that stuff that's occurring in hip is like, you know, the Loire, like Jura, like, you know, California, all, all the places that we see young wine, wine buyers interested in, in promoting on Instagram and drinking and all that stuff. Like it, it's, it, it, they don't often think to Bordeaux, but you know, they should because they're, th- that's happening. That same stuff that's happening in all the places they love is happening there. Yeah, I agree. And before we do taste those wines, uh, I wanted to hit on something that, that you mentioned about the about age-worthy bottles of, of Bordeaux. And sometimes I'll, I'll see older bottles of Bordeaux that are being released that are maybe less expensive or the same price or slightly more expensive than the current release. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of it in a similar way to like some old California wines. I mean, and these aren't the, you know, the top growth, maybe they're even like only even like second or third growth wines where it's like, wow, that is crazy inexpensive for such an aged wine. Like where do you find value if you're going to buy something for yourself that you're going to drink, you're spending your own money mm-hmm. and you want an aged bottle of Bordeaux, I think it's totally possible to find actually really good, really good value. In Completely. Ones. I mean, there's one producer that comes to my mind, um, VA Cure, which is a producer in Fransac, and you tend to find older bottlings from them. They release their wines a little bit later, but also, you know, w- with the benefit, it's kind of a, uh, it's a very different way of wine importation what Bordeaux uh, employs, a thing called Negociant. And basically it's a, it's a, it's an in-between party that's purchasing the wines and they have access to any Chateau and they're bringing the wines over and, and storing them here in the U S and aging them and then selling the wines over the course of years and years and years. And often you can find as a buyer, if you connect with one of the Negociants that's represented here in the U S you can find cool older stuff in, in their, in their stocks. And yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, that's the benefit. And often it's the same price that they were charging, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. And, the, and it's one of the unique regions that that's the example of. No one else really works that way because it's a really old school method of, of buying wine. It's, a, it's, the, it's the method that, you know, the Brits in, um, started with in, in Bordeaux and then we kind of emulated it here in the yeah. U.S. But it's not the way any other, any, any other wine works. A when, the, when the Brits started it, they weren't even bottling it. They were, they were no, buying yeah, they were barrels, buying barrels of wine yeah. and the Brits would bottle it right. themselves. Right. That's how, that's why um, you see on so many Bordeaux labels that it's bottled at the Chateau because that was something that had a real, I mean, now you think about it, like, of course, who's like, but. I'm not buying barrels of wine and shipping them over from Bordeaux. I don't know anybody that's doing that. It's a laborious <laughs> thing. And, no, it's a good point too, though, because most people aren't, you know, aren't aging wine. I know that you're, uh, you know, also a collector and you like to age wine for for yourself. But uh, we don't have this great culture here in the the states of uh, people aging wine too much. You know, at you know, aging wine at their houses, other than the, a few select cr- collectors. Mm-hmm. And we really don't also have that like French model too much where, you know, restaurants are, you know, aging wine. Uh, it's, it's rare. It's really, so it's having true. the ability to work with Negociant who have put wine in a good temperature control warehouse for a certain amount of years. And then you can be, uh, you can buy some, some well-aged wine that's now more complex and, and, it's, it's just nicer. It's, it's exciting. A hundred percent. I think, I think, and I think once you have that magical experience of tasting wine with some age on it, I think that it, that it changes you. I mean, I think, you know, back when, back in the days of Veritas, like when I first tasted, it wasn't even that old of a bottle, but 1996 Chateau Latour was probably one of the wines that really like, it was like polarizing wine to me. Not only because I found it was so interesting that it had this much age on it, which at that point was, 
uh, was 2006, so that was only really 20 years of bottle age on it. Um, it, it it's or sorry, 10 years of bottle age on it. <laughs> uh, it also, I also saw the potential of how it could age further. And then since then, I've had that wine now with 20 years of bottle age on it, and it's it's also still it's changed, but but uh, but in an, in a way that's become more complex, more more intense, more powerful. It's exciting. So, and it doesn't have to be a first growth wine to have that sort of, uh, you know, impression on you. I think that even wines with uh, with less pedigree mm-hmm. also have the ability to age from 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 Bordeaux for sure. Yeah, I mean, what I like to do is buy a case of wine and open one a year and, and just have that experience and the that memory of of how how it's been. But actually, on that note, we're going to have to have, take a quick break. We'll be back with more of Patrick Capiello uh, right after this. Bordeaux is one of the most reputable and well-known wine regions in the world. While many are familiar with its legendary first growths, there is so much more to discover. Bordeaux offers a dynamic and diverse range of wines, different styles, different colors, and different price points. Did you know that Bordeaux produces crisp, refreshing whites? Or that many of its outstanding reds can be open now and don't need years aging? Or that it's really easy to find a great bottle of Bordeaux for under $20? With such a diverse offering, Bordeaux wines can pair with a huge mix of contemporary foods and cuisines. Bordeaux wines. Red, white, rosé. There's a wine for everyone. For more information, visit Bordeaux.com slash US. We are back on In the Drink with Patrick Capiello, uh, the wine director, head sommelier, and owner of uh, Rebel and Pearl and Ash. He also makes some really tasty Muscadet in uh, what look like 40-ounce Old English bottles. Uh, you can find videos of him that are super entertaining on Playboy.com. And, uh, <laughs> no, honey, I was looking at the Patrick Capiello videos. Um, <laughs> And uh, and I'm every dude's scapegoat. <laughs> and uh, and you know we didn't mention this too. You uh, just want to congratulate you. Uh, you have a, a new project in the city of Philadelphia, which I absolutely love. Alyssa loves it too. We, we love going to Philadelphia. Can you tell us a little something about it? Yeah, sure. Um, we are in the construction phase now. Uh, we just announced it a few months ago, I guess, but but not not too loudly. We're we're excited about it, but it's uh, it's a market. You know, I'm I'm. I'm a hockey fan, so if you're a hockey fan, uh, and you, 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 can, you can very much understand the relationship between two cities if you see the way that those hockey teams interact together. And if you've ever watched a Rangers-Flyers game, you'll understand the rivalry that exists between oh, New York yeah. City and Philadelphia. Um, uh, so, 
Yeah, a, we're, we're, we're obviously very excited to go to that city, but we're also very nervous about the reception, being that we are uh, um, a New York restaurant group that's coming. But we're working with a lot of homegrown uh, individuals who are going to be fronting the restaurant uh, in the kitchen, in the dining room, uh, in the wine team. So we really want to have this be an integrated restaurant in Philadelphia. We're excited to go to the city. <clears throat> we think that, you know, Philadelphia has also been a pretty traditional beer and cocktail town mm-hmm. because the wine laws there are kind of screwy and they've kind of, they've kind of not made it easy for people to get excited about wine. So, um, our approach is, and, and now those laws have started to change, which is exciting. We're kind of getting there right at just at the right time. But our idea is to try and continue to make wine approachable and affordable there. So we're taking the same, uh, approach that we have with Perlin, Ash and Rebel with keeping really low markups. We're going, to try and, we're going to try and do a fair amount of wine by the glass um, there, really to try and give people the opportunity to taste stuff that they haven't had tasted yeah. before. So we're super excited. And uh, Daniel Eddy, uh, you know, the chef from, from Rebel, will be coming on board as our chef. And uh, Brandon McCrill, my business partner, will be running all the operations. So it's the team from, from Rebel for sure. And, and uh, it's, it's going to be fun. We're, we're excited. That's going to be exciting. Another, yet another great reason to visit. I love Philadelphia so much. It's a great town. I, I also, I forgot to mention, I'm sure there are many other things you're doing, but you have a portfolio of wines that you import, and uh, will those be available eventually in Philadelphia when everything kind of comes yeah, through? Yeah, it's going to be up to the up to those guys who who, who run that, um, but we'll have to see. Um, uh, we'd like, we'd love, I'd love, obviously love to see that possible, possibly happen, because, you know, the 40 ounces is, is fun, and, and you know, it'd be cool, but yeah, we'll see. It's, you know, that's, that's, that's more, that's more of a kind of a, um, advisory role that I take with that. So I don't have the ability to, to, to do yet another company, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> but you know, Chris, who's, who's in charge of that. Hopefully yeah. he'll, if he's listening. Yes, let's Chris, do that. Do it. Do it, Chris. <laughs> okay. So you brought some really delicious, uh, red Bordeaux and, and one sweet one. Uh, and the first one is the, uh, Clopuy Arnaud. We actually had him on the show a few weeks ago and, uh, he was in town for the raw wine fair, which blows my mind. That you had, that there was wasn't uh, just one but four Bordeaux producers right. over at uh, Raw Wine, and uh, this is actually the one cuvee of Pierno I've never tasted. Uh, let's see, this so it's it, a, bl- a blend of seventy five percent Merlot and then twenty five percent Cabernet Franc. Okay, yeah, cuvee Lay Ormeau, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually. I shouldn't say you brought this one. This one I, I kind of snuck in there, and yeah. I brought this one from from home because I really wanted to taste it with you and uh, hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's like it, there's there's always this kind of soul that the wines from Bordeaux have that that comes out in the aromatics. Like I don't know, it's it's this like leatheriness, but also this like kind of entwined with fruit. It has kind of rich texture, and this wine fits all of that thing. It's a, like the Brits would call like a classic claret, you know, and and if it has that soul to it, which I think is. Important for all Bordeaux. I mean, there are some producers that are, that are kind of maybe really going way out there with the natural wine movement in Bordeaux that are making wines that are atypical, which is totally fine. I think, you know, that's important every, everywhere to push the boundaries. But there's something to be said about making a wine with um, with with a natural uh, approach, but but still having the wine embody what, what Bordeaux is all about, making yeah. wines that have a very particular kind of um, message and a very, I think, serious, like... My, what I, this is my favorite sort of wine, actually. One that is made with good farming that would fit into the idea of, of raw wine. But someone who hates the idea of natural wine right. would still... And if you didn't tell them, you just gave it to them. They're like, oh, that's a beautiful wine. That's a great wine. Even if they're like just morally opposed to a wine that is 
low sulfur. You know, it's made organically. It's just a pure, clean, pretty wine that's delicious. Totally. Well, I mean, I think you know, for me, my, my I'm, I'm very middle of the ground with with pretty much everything. I try to I try to be a peacemaker when it comes to all this stuff. And there are plenty of winemakers that work with natural wine, natural quote unquote natural wine methods that, that I'm that I'm passionate about, that I collect, that I get excited. For example, Clorajard is, is a producer that I love. Um, uh, the wines from Auvergne and, and the Jura, I think, are great. But there are plenty of producers that are drawing way outside the lines and are really, I think, making irresponsible, irresponsibly making wines, making wines that don't taste clean, making wines that, that don't, that don't, uh, you know, aren't preserved well and don't make a trip from, from, from Europe, uh, intact. So I think that we have to be careful that we don't let the pendulum swing too far to the other direction and mm. to become, you know, militant on the idea of natural wines. Like just because a, a, a wine is made in a certain way, doesn't mean that it's good. It can, it can even conventionally made wines can be fucked up, but mm-hmm. like a natural wine can get, can really get fucked up. And you, we, we've all had examples of that. And it does frustrate me when I talk to some of my friends who are like natural wine, like militants and, and I get frustrated. Sometimes I, my, my, my thoughts, my point to them is that you've become blinded by the philosophy of this wine to the point where you're willing to drink wine that tastes like shit. And that's not, that's not good. That's the opposite. That's the opposite of, of the goal of all of this, this movement. If the movement is to get people to be drinking healthier wines and for winemakers to work more responsibly for the environment, um, that's great. But if, if the price that we pay is to lie to ourselves about wine that actually tastes good, then I don't think it's worth yeah. it. And, and for me, like the super more meta like phase of natural wine in the good th- in the, when it's doing good is that it's a wine that's more distinctive, that tastes more unlike anything else, that tastes more like the place that it comes from and is more distinctive. But in the messed up ones, they start to taste all the same in the same way that industrially produced wines taste all the same. Yeah. They don't taste like industrially produced wines. They just taste like all the other natural wines. And you, they, you lose that distinctiveness to it, which makes wine so interesting. True. Uh, but anyway, this is delicious. Yeah, pretty. Uh, I really great. like that. Okay, what's the next one? All right. So the next wine will we'll, we'll go to... Yeah, that's great. So uh, this is Quadrifilo. It's uh, a producer from um, from the Cote. So the Cote is on the right bank, and you know it's an area that really, for me, it's it's an area that's that's representative of what what can yield great value, um, and because it's an area that's kind of undervalued on the property re- realm. You know, it's like anywhere. It's like if in California, if you look at an example of why producers are, you know, in the North Coast or like Mendocino as opposed to Napa Valley because, you know, the real estate in Napa Valley is outrageous. So to make a wine there, it's got to cost a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And for a young a young farmer to want to come into a, a, an area and actually make a wine that they're excited about in the way that they want to make it, it's it's un, it's not it's not affordable to do so. So in on on the right bank, we see a lot of areas like this where Families like this that want to work with biodynamics, so biodynamically certified chateau, which is a risky thing to do in Bordeaux. Bordeaux is an area that tends to have uh, problems with, if you've ever been there, it rains a lot, a lot there. So there's issues with rot that can occur, which is the reason why a lot of times farmers feel the need to spray spray their vineyards to try. You know, I've, I spoke to, not it wasn't even a, a Bordelais, it was, it was a winemaker from... Oh, it must Long have been Island. from maybe Burgundy, actually. Okay. It's just talking about how, how you know, if, if your child was sick um, with a disease that you knew you could fix, 
you would take that child, your child to the hospital to get them fixed. You wouldn't right. let your child die of whatever this disease is. So it's, a, it's always a, a problem for, for winemakers when they know that their livelihood, their family's livelihood is, is at risk. So to take a risk and do that in an area like the code is a lot easier than in Poyak. <laughs> Even though a producer like, you know, Chateau, Chateau Latour works with biodynamics, but nobody ever talks about that. Anyway. Uh, I wonder, too, like it, with something like that, is it, do they worry about the impression from their, like, long-term collectors or from people who aren't as open to it, which is why they, they don't talk about it as much? Yeah, I mean, that might be the case with Chateau, some, some of the Chateau Latour. Something, like, really big. But I think, I mean, they, they're clear about it. I mean, they, they, if you go to the vineyard, there are horses, like plowing through all those vineyards they, so they, cool. they, they they do it the right way for sure okay so this is a 2010 vintage right so it's like uh i mean you said this this isn't a very expensive wine it's not something that's like has been aged for a long time at the cellar or is this how did, how did we get a 2010 vintage? again this is this would be a wine that would would have gone to that same through that same so situation that where it was bought there in negotiant it's a wine that had been available um and, and, you know, just kind of hung out there, which is great because 2010 is an awesome vintage for, for Bordeaux. Yeah. But you can feel this wine is starting to show a little bit of its age. It's, there's some of that, some of those, those kind of more like uh, earthy notes that have really kind of lifted up out of the wine. It's has, it has a, more of a minerality, I think, that would probably, was probably not there in its youth. Mm-hmm. You know, when wines are young, the fruit tends to really be the dominant trait, especially in Bordeaux. But this wine has, you know, it has aromatics of like kind of like a, like dried herb and, you know, it's, it's. It seems to me that this is a, a, a case of drinking a, a wine that uh, benefits from some years of age, but isn't a very long-term wine, and we're drinking it sort of at it's the best it's going to be. Do you agree? Yeah. No, I think so. Yeah, I think I think I think it's it's a it's at it's at an awesome place right now. It's really pretty. If you want to have a, drink a wine that is like where the winemaker would want you to drink it at, this is an example of that. The yeah. tannins have softened. It, you know, it's still really juicy, but. And super delicious and complex and uh, obviously a wine that would work really well with food. And you brought a fancy wine too here. What kind of fancy well, we, we, I mean, we, we, did, we did a more prestigious appellation for sure. Okay. But also still on the right bank. So Santa Leon, which is, you know, for sure, probably one of the most recognizable. I mean, there's some pretty famous chateaus there. Um, but this is an, also another producer, husband and wife winemaking team that are working with all, all, all organic uh, vineyard practices, and they take kind of take it to the next level where they try to work with products mm. in the in in the wine itself that that are that are more um, friendly to the earth. So, like this bottle is uh, it's a it's a thinner bottle that is lighter and therefore leaves a smaller carbon footprint. All the labels are made with recycled paper. Um, the capsule is is actually made with uh, with a material that's recyclable as well. So they 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 try to make sure that at every every step of the way that they try to look at the environment and how what they're doing impacts it. I mean, we all understand that putting wine in a bottle, it's kind of it's not the best thing you can do for the environment. Mm-hmm. Things like Tetra Packs and Bag and Box, you know, larger formats and alternative formats tend to be the better method for, for the environment. But at the same time, a wine like this, if you put it in a can, it's not going to age very well. You have to still look at the tradition of wine. So there's a balance there, again, I think. And they're doing their best to, to stick with tradition and to put wines in responsible um, packaging, but also responsible in the idea of collecting and aging wines as well. So 2012, it's still still pretty young, mm-hmm. um, but really beautiful. I mean, I think aromatically there, you see, like, look at the first two wines we tasted. This wine has just, it's just a little bit more intense. And, and I think that, um, and also kind of has that more, more, uh, um, 
classic uh, aromatic profile. Um, and for sure, it's a wine that you, you can feel on the palate has has some age worthy uh, kind of quality yeah, to it. Yeah, it seems youthful. There's an intense quinine note that uh, I don't think I've ever gotten mm. from dry red Bordeaux yeah. before. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, that's really great. Seventy percent Merlot and then thirty percent Cabernet Sauvignon on there, which is a traditional blend for that for that area. And all three of these wines are made biodynamically. The last two, you guys can't see it there, but actually on the front label, not something that I've really seen much in Bordeaux before. They both say that they're biodynamic wines. And certified biodynamic. Certified yeah. biodynamic wines. And the Puy Arnaud, which doesn't say that on the front label, was part of the Raw Wine Fair, which is like as, you know, as low intervention as you, know, as you can. Totally. Uh, and they're all delicious, and they're all unique, and they're all not messed up natural wines. Yeah. <laughs> like really pretty and complex. And the best thing about them is that they're really distinctive for me, that they don't taste like a random red wine or just like the idea of where they taste like really distinctive. Hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think that, the, yeah, I think they, the thing that they all have in common is I think they all are great representations of the place from which they, they come. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you made that point earlier saying that, you know, when, when it comes to wine that are made with natural wine methods, often you feel like you can feel the terroir a little bit more. It's not as masked when there isn't as much human uh, effort being put into it or, or chemical effort. But yeah, for sure. All right, we got one more wine, uh, a Sauterne. And now I've noticed in, in uh, my restaurants that people are drinking less and less sweet wine. Um, but I tend to really like Sauterne uh, quite a bit. Uh, not something that I drink nearly as often as I'd like to. Um, but uh, what I mean, what is going on with Sauterne? Why, you know, why, why are we Well, you know, that? I mean, I think it, it's an area... First of all, I mean, there's there's, whole, there's always the question. If you talk to a winemaker in Sauterne, you know, they're, they'll they'll tell you all day long why, how the wines work well with savory foods, and and it's obviously something that they're talking about because nobody else is. And and but at the same time, I'm a big believer in that idea because as a sommelier, you and I know both. Whenever we go to like an like a Thai restaurant, what kind of wine do we always bring? Yeah, Riesling. Riesling from Germany also, yeah, that's got some right, sweetness yeah. to it because it really works well with the, with those foods. You need that kind of intensity and that sweetness to balance out the heat. And Sauterne for me is kind of like, you know, it's it, this is Bordeaux's answer to like uh, Auslese or Trockenberg Auslese, mm-hmm. you know. And and those wines are have always been so accepted by the Somali community. And I think Sauterne too. I mean, people of my generation, I'm a little bit older than you. And so I had a chance to understand why these wines were so important to the wine, wine movement of that time. And they continue to be. I mean, if you talk to the sommeliers at my restaurants, they know that we always, we always have a Sauternes by the glass. And it's always one of our, one of our um, best-selling dessert wines. It's not a wine that people often have as an, as an aperitif. But as far as something classically to have with dessert, people get super excited. And again, there's great value to be found in, in Sauternes. I mean, people think always of Chateau Yquem, which is obviously the most expensive. Um, but... You know, there are plenty of good value. You, and we, we, we always have one by the glass that's usually around 10 or $11 a glass. And you can easily have Sauternes in that price point. And the best thing about Sauternes is they come in, like we have here at Chateau Giro, this is um, a half bottle, right? So a 375 milliliter bottle is really an ideal way to do it in a restaurant for us because, you know, the turnover isn't as quick and it keeps the freshness. But at home, same thing. You can open this bottle of wine and have it open for a week. If you want to have a glass after dinner, and put it away yeah. for a couple of days and go back to it later, you can continue to do that in, in, a, in a small format. And pretty much all Sauterne comes in in small, uh, in small bottles. So this wine also has worked with, uh, with organic vineyard practices. Um, 
the blend here is 65% Semillon and 35% Sauvignon Blanc. And, you know, that's kind of the cool thing about Sauternes is they have these two grapes at their disposable, Semillon, which, which produces a rich, kind of opulent, textured uh, wine, and then Sauvignon Blanc, which we all know, really high acid mm-hmm. and fresh. And so they can do that balance, balancing act to try and add the qualities that come from Sauvignon Blanc, the aromatics, the acid, to this, you know, more rich, textured grape with Semillon. And kind of it's a, it's a delicate kind of dance that I think that winemakers play. And, and, when they, and when they nail it, they nail it. And this, for me, is an example of that. It has all that richness and also a little age on it as well, but um, has, you know, good good friends. Yeah, this, this is the 08. And we're actually drinking this at room temperature. And you think of, like, a sweet wine at room temperature, um, especially a Sauternes, which has a lot of, of sweetness to it. That sounds like something that's kind of unappealing to me, but this is uh, not cloying, not overly sweet. Yeah. It has it has a ton of acidity, a ton of minerality, yep. and I can keep drinking it, which is not <laughs> something that you can do with most with most sweet wine. Yeah. You keep going for it. It makes sense why it would pair well with with savory foods. Totally. I mean, and I think you know, there's definitely we've I've done I've done that often um, with other sommeliers, and the feedback has always been really good on that. But it's not something that people think to do, but. I would challenge people to try that. Next time you get some Thai food, open a half bottle of Sauternes and see what see what your. Uh... You've had Sauternes with Thai food. Yeah, really good, yeah, 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 yeah. It works well. Other really things well. other than just like foie gras and pate, which it works amazing with. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. like that's like you know we we do foie gras pate. Yeah. We do foie gras pate at the restaurant, and it works really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah or that. Yeah, I mean, even stuff like that, fried chicken, any, any like like. Chicken wings in yeah. Sautern. That's about like could that be the spicy, most... like Alabama fried chicken. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, exactly. Or yeah. like the Mission Chinese uh, chicken wings. <laughs> it sounds like we have a research trip planned. Yeah, for, uh... anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so we have to settle. We have to finish up right now. But uh, Patrick, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Joe, have you back on the show? It's been, it's been great to be back. Okay. I look forward to getting my jacket. I'm going to hold you to that. All right, we'll see. We'll see you next week. <laughs> I'll be here, <laughs> uh, guys. Go visit Pearl and Ash. And Rebel, they are fantastic, uh, and uh, one of, you know one of my favorite places to go. Oh, one thing I want to shout out for you: the Rebel brunch. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, what? Yeah, we, so we're we're doing uh, we're doing half off all bottles of wine under four hundred bucks at brunch on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Half off all bottles of wine. It's you can fun. have a hundred dollar bottle of wine for fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been great, <laughs> and peop, it's been like it's become kind of like a like a winemaker and sommelier kind of shit People show every weekend. It. Yeah, yeah, it's hanging out there, so it's blast. fun. It's fun. Thanks, you Joe. Should, you should go, too. It's so freaking cool. All right. Thanks so much for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. But before I go, I actually want to thank David Tadashore. I want to thank uh, the producer of the show, Aaron Fairbanks from Heritage Radio Network and Wines of Bordeaux, our sponsor. You guys are awesome. Thank you for setting this up. Uh, and thanks to you for listening. Bye. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.